Amen. So we are in week number two of this series titled Different Jesus. And the image, you can see it here, it's kind of this put together picture of Jesus that cuts and pastes all these different uh, images and what people think Jesus looks like. And the whole heart of this series is understanding that um, people often take Jesus and they make Jesus into whatever fits their agenda. We talked about last week how people take uh, Christ and they make him their own personal Jesus, right? That's an old reference to a 1990s song. But they take the parts of Jesus they like, they dismiss the parts they don't like, and they remake Jesus to whatever fits their narrative, uh, whether that be any kind of Jesus like you see in these images here, however you visualize them, whatever kind of movie Jesus you think he is, or political Jesus, homeboy Jesus, um, whatever Jesus you think it is, but people take Jesus and they turn him into a different Jesus. And the whole point of this series is to go back to the biblical Jesus. Because in the Bible, we see that Jesus uh, is not like the Jesus that we sometimes make our own personal Jesus. Last week, we talked about how Jesus loved differently. And how that love teaches us how to love others and forgive others. And the forgiveness that Jesus gave the the woman who came and washed his feet with her tears at this dinner party, this bold, courageous woman who knew she wasn't invited, knew she wasn't welcomed to this space, comes in in faith and washes Jesus' feet, lays her life out there before him in front of a priest, and there Jesus gives her forgiveness because he loves differently. One of the things I've been noticing lately is with the political climate in the country and all the division that we're seeing is that some people have weaponized Jesus. They've made Jesus a weapon. And they'll take scriptures like Jesus when he was releasing his disciples to go spread the message of the gospel. And he told the disciples, he said, look, don't don't think that I came to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And I've seen a lot of people recently used that Scripture and twisted out of context because what Jesus was talking about when He said that He didn't come to bring peace, but He came to bring a sword, was that He was preparing His disciples who He was releasing to go out and preach. He was preparing them to receive conflict. Because the message of Christ will always be in conflict to the world. So when Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace... I came to bring a sword. What he was saying is this is the unbeliever's response to the gospel will be a sword, but it's not the way we communicate the gospel. We don't communicate the gospel with a sword. You see, people twist Jesus and they make Jesus what they want him to be and they weaponized him to kind of divide sinners from saints, left from right, liberals from conservatives, the rescued from the condemned, and they've turned Jesus into a different Jesus. Jesus isn't on either side. It reminds me of Joshua when he was at the foot of Jericho and the angel of the Lord's army showed up and and Joshua asked the angel, are you on our side or are you on their side? And he said, look, I'm not on either side. I'm here to take over. Jesus is here to take over. Jesus is here to rescue everyone. Because we saw last week that we're all sinners, right? That we all need saving. So the, the, the Jesus of the gospel, the Jesus of the Bible is a different Jesus. He's a Jesus who's known as the Prince of Peace. He's a Jesus who's known to say, blessed are the peacemakers. 
for they will be called children of God. He was the Jesus who would heal people and say, go in what? Peace. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. Compassion. I've entitled this message, A Different Compassion. Compassion is this kindness, this sympathy. But there's something bigger to compassion. You see, the origin of the word compassion comes from the Latin word pati, which means to suffer. It's where we get the English word pity or passion. You think of the passion of the Christ. It was Jesus suffering. The, the, the prefix there, come, C-O-M, means with. Like we would get companionship. So compassion is suffering with. Is the literal translation. The biblical translation of compassion is when you suffer with others. That means one person's heartbreak now becomes your heartbreak. That means one person's suffering now makes it your suffering. And when we live in this true kind of compassion, it changes our life. All throughout Scripture, we see that God is a God of compassion. Isaiah 49 tells us that we should rejoice and be glad and and, and sing songs into the heavens because the Lord has comforted His people and He has compassion on them. Psalms, which is a book of praising God, says in 86 verse 15 that the Lord is a God of compassion and mercy. We see that Jesus, His Son, was a a Savior full of compassion. Many encounters with Christ in the Bible start with that Jesus saw the crowds and He had compassion for them. So He would heal them. He would meet with them. He would teach them because He was full of compassion for them. And in the epistles, we see Paul and Peter and Timothy uh, and John tell us to be people of compassion. And in Psalms 112, it says, The light shines in the darkness for the godly, for they are generous, compassionate, and righteous. We, as God's people, should be known for our generosity, our compassion, and our righteousness. 1 Peter in the NIV says, be of one mind, right? We, we learned that from, from Peter, from Paul, excuse me, uh, from the, the series we did in Becoming, in Philippians, where he said, be of one mind, have the mind of Christ, be sympathetic, love one another, and be what? Compassionate. Suffer with others. I love what the author Frederick Buchner said of compassion. He said this. He said, Compassion is sometimes the fatal capacity for feeling what it is like to live inside someone else's skin. It is the knowledge that there can be that there, that there can never really be any peace or joy for me until there is peace and joy finally for you too. How can I be at peace and joy when you're not? That's compassion. And in this portion of Scripture today, we see Jesus, full of compassion, heal the most unlikely of people. And I believe from this account what it teaches us, and this is this morning's big idea, is that in Jesus we find a different kind of compassion. Because in the world we have empathy, we have sympathy, but very few have compassion. But in Jesus we find a different kind of compassion. And His compassion is displayed to you through His acceptance of you. 
and through His invitation for you to partake in His life. His compassion teaches us how to view and how to receive others. Not distance ourselves and shun people like we see happening, but how do we embrace even those who are against you, those who don't think the same way you do? This is the compassion of Jesus. It's a different compassion. And here in this text, in Mark 10, we see Jesus show amazing compassion to this blind beggar. You see, during this time, Jesus had become wildly popular. Crowds were following him wherever he went. The curious wanted to see, wanted to hear his teaching that was groundbreaking, that was earth-shattering, that was getting people in a tizzy, right? There was people who were worried that he was going to try to take over the Roman authorities. The Romans were worried. The Jewish ruling elite was worried because he was preaching a message that was contrary to them, to their religion. There was people, wherever Jesus went, imagine the people who would cry his name as he walked, those who were trying to get close to him. This was here some of the final steps that Jesus would take. In the next chapter of Mark, we see that Jesus is entering into Jerusalem in what we call Palm Sunday. So this is Jesus nearing the end of his, of his life. And here he has this chance encounter with this blind beggar. And as Jesus moved and as the voices were coming from left and from right and as people were trying to get near to him, one voice stands out above the rest to Jesus. Captures his attention. Stops him in his tracks. And Jesus responds full of compassion and heals this man. So what I want to do this morning with the time I have is, is walk us through this encounter that Jesus has with this blind man. And then share with you two implications about Jesus that the Scripture tells us, and then one application for you to walk away. One application for you to walk away with today that you could use and say, Lord, make me more like you. Help me become more like you, Jesus. So in Mark chapter 10, we're going to begin reading in verse 46. And we're going to go to the end of the chapter in verse 52. It's a very familiar uh, passage of Scripture. It's blind Bartimaeus. Jesus' encounter with blind, blind, not blonde. <laughs> Maybe he was blonde, I don't know. Blind Bartimaeus, blind Bartimaeus. In verse 46, it says this, Then they reached Jericho. That's Jesus, his disciples, and this massive crowd that would follow him. Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. Now you need to understand that a person who was blind in these times was not like a person who's visually impaired today. A person who's visually impaired today could lead a fully normal, productive self, uh, you know, life where they're capable, they're independent to do things and work and fully function. In this society, when a person was blind, your life was regulated to begging. You were seen as a dreg on society. You were seen as somebody who, who you know, needed to rely on others to care for them. And what's interesting is that most of the blind people in the Bible are, ne- are never ID'd. We never hear their name. But here Mark gives the name to this person. He tells us that his name is Bartimaeus. 
That name Bar means son of, and Timaeus is probably his father's name. So he is Bar Timaeus, the son of Timaeus. Now something that's interesting to know is that word Timaeus means high value and high worth. Isn't it interesting that the name that he was given as a child now is the exact opposite of the reality that he was living? He was not living a high-value, highly-prized life. He was a beggar on the side of the road eating scraps of trash and whatever people would show him or give him and relying on others to care for him. His life didn't match his identity. This brother was stuck. But in desperation... The desperation of Timaeus leads him to do something bold, leads him to break the mold, leads him to react. How many of you know that when the breakthrough of God happens, it's often not very pretty? It's hardly ever the rainbow in the sky as the clouds part and the rain goes away and the sun shines on you. It it, it often looks more like mascara running down your face, your hair in a bun turned sideways, your chanclas thrown across the room, right? You're about to throw up because you don't know if you're praying in tongues or, or, or praying in English and you're crying out to God. It often looks like you with your son at a jail cell wondering how he got there, crying together, reaching out to God. The breakthrough is seldom ever beautiful on the outside. But it's usually a desperate moment that leads people to cry out to Jesus. And Jesus, because He's compassionate, when we cry out to Him, He stops and He hears us. No matter who you are. One of the greatest things that could ever happen to you in your life is when you sense your deep need for Christ. I wonder how many blind, deaf, mute, crippled people Jesus passed by who never called out to Him, who never reached that point of desperation, and thus never experienced what Bartimaeus was about to experience here. There's something beautiful about crying out into desperation and saying, Jesus, it's only you. It's only you. You're my only hope. My back's up against the wall. It's you or it's nothing, Jesus. There's a desperation that leads us to Christ that leads to breakthrough. Don't despise your desperate moments. That's often God's megaphone getting your attention. Verse 47 It says, when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, here's the desperation. Here's Bartimaeus realizing that this was his chance. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now I want you to notice this little detail. It says, when Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby. This tells us that Bartimaeus had heard about Jesus before this moment. Why would he cry to Jesus if he didn't know who Jesus was? What was it that Bartimaeus heard about Jesus that caused him to react this way? That when he was nearby, he was going to be so desperate that he would begin to shout at the top of his lungs from the side of the road, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. I wonder if his circle had heard about the miracles Jesus had been doing. 
I wonder if they all shared. You know, there's, there's, this, there's this man named Jesus and, and he's healing the blind and he's raising the dead and he's opening up the ears of the deaf and he's opening up the mouths of the mute and he's performing these miracles. You know, if we could get close to this Jesus, this is our chance, guys. This is our opportunity. I mean, we could have a chance if we get to know this Jesus. I wonder if Bartimaeus had heard that. How many know that faith comes by hearing? Romans 10.17 Faith comes by hearing and hearing the good news about Christ. What is the good news about Christ? It's what Jesus Himself said in Luke 4 when He said that God had sent Me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set them free, and that what? The blind would see. Now this not only means the physically blind, but the spiritually blind. The emotionally blind. The socially blind. He said that the blind will see and that the oppressed will be set free. If you're wondering why Jesus came to earth and why He went to the cross for you and me, He came to complete that mission in your life that you might be set free, that you might experience freedom, that your eyes might be opened, and that you might be broken of any chain that binds you. That's good news. That's the good news of Jesus. So I'm wondering if those were the stories that Bartimaeus had heard. So I could see his faith building. Picture it. He's hearing these stories of, these Jesus, of this Jesus who's performing these miracles. His faith is slowly building in him. And now he knows maybe this is the only chance he has. Maybe this is the only opportunity he's ever going to get. So when he hears that Jesus is near, he responds by calling out to him. Now I love this because we all know that Bartimaeus is blind. He cannot see. But he can what? He can hear. We all know that Bartimaeus is blind. He cannot see. But he could what? He could speak. You see, Bartimaeus was using what he could do instead of being fixed on what he can't do. And that's a lesson for us because people worry too much about what they can't do. And they don't use what they can do. You see, the thinking that, oh, I can't do that. I, 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 can't, I can't go to church. They don't like me there. Oh, you know what? I, 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 can't, I can't go to the front. I can't get on my knees. What's, what, what am, what's my son going to think? What's my wife going to think? You know, we are so fixed on the things we can't do. Listen, if you could hear and if you could speak, you could cry out to Jesus and you could realize how desperately you need Him. Enough of the excuses of what you can't do. Use what you can do. What He said was important. He says Jesus and He calls Him the Son of David. Not many people at this point had called Jesus by this name. This was a messianic-related name. This was a name that implied that when I call you this name, Jesus, what I'm saying is you are the Son of God. You are the Rescuer. You are the Healer, the Redeemer of our nation. The One we've been praying for, Jesus. All of Jerusalem was questioning that. Most were rejecting that. But here is a man who believed it already. And he's proclaiming, Jesus, you are the Son of David. You are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. His faith activated to speak boldly by the presence of Jesus. Now look at the way people react to him. 
And this is often the way people will react to you when you choose to speak boldly for Jesus. When you cry out to Jesus, be prepared for people to respond like this in verse 48. Be quiet. Many of the people yelled at him. Shut up. You see, your faith will often trigger people. And the trigger is usually not positive. The way people respond is that they'll try to dampen your faith. They'll try to quiet your voice. They'll tell you, hey, you stay in your lane. What they were telling uh, Bartimaeus here, they were telling him to be quiet because they were saying, look, you're blind and you're a beggar, so shut up. He doesn't want anything to do with you. He doesn't like our kind of people. You know, he's probably repulsed by us. He's grossed out by us. He's going to recoil at us. So shut up. Be quiet. Stop calling attention on us, Bartimaeus. And some people will do that to you because maybe you're being a little bit too radical for them. A little bit too embarrassing. And let me speak to the young people, especially the young people that were up here. Be prepared in your schools. Be prepared sometimes amongst your friend groups, your baseball teams, your your track teams, your volleyball teams. Be prepared that when you mention the name of Jesus, for people to look at you and say, well, you just be quiet. Be prepared for that. Because again, that's what Jesus meant that he would come to bring a sword. It's not that you're bringing the sword and and hacking people in the name of Jesus. It's that people will bring their sword against you because you proclaim Jesus. But when they do that, look what Bartimaeus does here. And this is how you should respond. I love this. It says, but he only shouted louder. Son of David! Have mercy on me. You see, the goals of those who want to quiet your voice and drag you away from Jesus is to distract you. To keep you distracted. To get your mind off Jesus. If these people would have succeeded in taking Bartimaeus' mind off of Jesus, he would have missed this opportunity. He would have never gotten his healing if he would have followed the voice of the crowd. But Bartimaeus stayed his eyes fixed on Jesus. He knew that this was his only opportunity. So what did he do? He just raised his voice louder. He tuned out the distractions. That's a lesson for us. And now look at The compassion of Jesus. The compassion of Jesus. Hearing the cries of this man. What was it about his voice? Remember, there was a multitude of people, a crowd of people. What I like to think about is, remember when the British invasion happened and the Beatles came to America? And there's videos of them like in their car. And there's there's people probably 50 deep all around them screaming their names. And it'd be like, you know, Ringo hearing one person's voice and saying, oh, I hear someone. Maybe you're more of a Paul or a John. I don't know. George never gets enough props. I like George. But what was it about Bartimaeus' cry to Jesus? I think the writer of Psalms in 116 sums it up. I love this. He says, I love the Lord because He hears my voice. And He hears my prayer for mercy. And and this is the image I get of Jesus right here in verse 2. It says, because He bends down to listen. You see, Jesus stops and He's... I hear someone calling my name. I love the Lord because He hears my prayer. 
Do you realize that when you pray, and I hope you're praying, these are not just empty, routine words you're sending up into the atmosphere, but these are words that are penetrating the very throne room of, of, of the Almighty God. Do you realize that when you pray, you're, ha- you're having a conversation, a back and forth, with, with the God who created this whole universe? The God who molded Saturn in His hands said, you know, it's not right yet. Let's put some rings around it. Okay, now go right here. Do you realize you're having a conversation with, with, with the God who, who said, you know, this planet, it shouldn't spin this way. Let's turn it on its side. Okay, now he places that planet in his hand. He places it right there. Do you realize that when you pray, you're having a conversation with that being? These are not just empty words. We should never treat prayer as just, oh, God, thank you for this car. Thank you for my job. You know I hate it, but it's okay. It pays the bills. And all right, all right, I'm going to work. No, you're having a conversation with the creator of life. Spurgeon, Spurgeon says this, of how the cry of the heart reaches the throne room of God. He says, the gate of heaven is to be only opened in one way, by the very earnest use of the knocker of prayer. I love that. What opens up the gate of heaven? The knocker of prayer. Prayer is that boom, boom, boom that gets the heart attention of God. And look at this line. He says, Your eyes, thou canst have their eyes open until their mouth is opened. You'll never have your mouth, or, or sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself, I'm so excited. You'll never have your eyes opened if your mouth always remains closed. If Bartimaeus' mouth would have remained closed, his eyes would have never been opened. But he opens his mouth, and this is what Spurgeon says. He says, it's the burning lava of the soul that has a furnace, hello, within it. A very volcano of grief and sorrow. He's talking about the person who pours their whole soul out in prayer. And what it does is that burning lava of prayer finds its way to God. You see, this was not uh, Bartimaeus saying, Hey, Jesus, hey! You know, he didn't do the whistle though. I'm over here. Come on over. Oh, this was Bartimaeus' whole soul, burning lava. From his soul. Knocking on Jesus' heart. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Look at the compassion of Jesus in verse 49. When Jesus heard him, he stopped. You see, when you pray that way, you know what God does? He stops. He says, tell him to come here. So they called to the blind man. The same ones who are now saying, shut up, listen to what they say. Cheer up! Come on, he's calling you. So Bartimaeus threw aside his coat. He jumps up, came to Jesus. Three actions that Bartimaeus does here. He throws aside his coat. That's big for a beggar. To a homeless person, their coat is their shelter It's their protection. It's their address. What was Bartimaeus 
doing when he throws aside his coat. He's saying, hey, where I'm going, I no longer need this. I'm shedding this. I don't need this anymore because Jesus is calling for me. What are you willing to throw aside to come to Jesus? You see, it's often holding on to things that keeps you stuck. There were some hunters in Africa who devised a great way to trap monkeys. What they did is they grabbed some gourds or some coconuts and they hollowed them out and they put some tree nuts inside of this hollow uh, coconut or or gourd, whatever they would use, because they knew the monkeys were going to be curious enough to look inside of there. And when the monkeys would reach inside of the empty coconut, they would feel the tree nuts and they would grab onto them because they wanted to take them out. But because they had made a fist, they could not pull their hand out of the coconut. And it would confuse them. And they would stand around kind of looking, how do I get my hand out of this thing? Their hands couldn't come out because they were not willing to let go of the tree nuts. And because they were not willing to let go, it ultimately cost them their freedom. Because all the hunters needed to do was bag them up as they were there in their confusion. One of the tricks of the enemy is to train you to think that you cannot let shame, embarrassment, guilt, hurt, past sin, lies that you were spoken into when you were a youth. One of the tricks of the enemy is to get you to hold on to those things. But when you hold on to that, what it does is it costs you your freedom. It's, it's not until you let that go. If those monkeys just would have let go, they would have been able to slide their hands out and they would have been able to stay free. And what Jesus was, was, was wanting to see here, and you see Bartimaeus do it, is that he was letting go who he was. He was letting go his old life. He was letting go of that identity as blind Bartimaeus. And now he was beginning to step into his true identity of a highly valued, favored son of Timaeus. And this is the truth. Listen, you cannot hold on to everything else. You cannot. You cannot hold on to everything else and also reach out to Jesus. You just can't. You don't have enough hands. There's so many people holding on to past hurt, holding on to past issues, holding on to these strongholds that have been in your life forever that you never experienced the freedom and the healing of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, because you're not willing to let go. Man, Frozen was on to something when they sang the song, Let It Go. They were on to something. Some of us want change, but we're not willing to shed the cloak of our past life. He not only sheds the cloak, but he gets up. This this symbolizes that he's leaving the place of comfort, that he's leaving the place of of, of familiarity, you know, the the corner bar, the same crowd, the same lies, the same old crowd that you're still hanging around with that nobody's never changed, no one's ever evolved, no one's ever matured. Hey, it's comfortable because you know everybody there and everybody gets along and they laugh at the same jokes and it's always the same memories and it's always the same conversations, but there's never no growth. And there's a a time when when the Lord will challenge you to step out, to stand up and say, hey, are you ever going to take a step closer? 
closer to me, or are you going to stay where it's comfortable? Bartimaeus could have stayed here where it was comfortable, but he was stepping out. Closer to Jesus. Rising up, we call this, right? Ready to let all that failure, the anger, the resentment, the labels, the fear, the anxiety, the confusion, the doubt, leaving that behind. Listen, there's no breakthrough if you never rise up. There's no breakthrough if you never rise up. So he threw aside his cloak, he got up, and then he goes face to face with Jesus. He knows who he is. And in verse 51, Jesus asks one of the most perplexing questions in Scripture. He tells this blind man who's just been begging to him at the top of his lungs, and Jesus asks him, what do you want me to do for you? That was obvious what Bartimaeus was going to answer, right? Why would Jesus ask him this question? It's a test of faith. It's a test of faith. Jesus didn't need the information, but he needed to know that he had Bartimaeus' heart. And prepare yourself for the day you encounter Jesus and you stand face to face with him and he asks you this question. What do you want me to do for you? Listen, if, if you ever just life tip, if you ever stand face to face, this is just a worldly analogy, but if you ever stand face to face with like a billionaire and he asks you or she asks you, what do you want me to do for you? I hope none of you say, um, well, you know, I'm really hungry. Could you buy me dinner? Chances are that billionaire is going to be like, Talking, do, you, do you know who I am? Bartimaeus had asked for mercy up to this point, right? He had never asked for his sight. But he knew who was in front of him. He knew who was in front of him. And listen to what he says. He goes from a general prayer request, have mercy on me, to now being very specific. And he says, my rabbi... I want to see. For you to ask that billionaire for even a hundred million dollars, let's be conservative. A hundred million dollars. To a billionaire, it's not much. It's because you know who's in front of you. For this man to ask Jesus to give him his sight, it's because he understood that he truly was the Messiah. And that word, my rabbi, in Hebrew is Rabbani, which no one had called Jesus up until this point. And only one other person would call Jesus by this name. And that was Mary Magdalene when she saw Jesus raised from the dead. I mean, if there's a reason to call Jesus Rabbani, it's because you just saw him come back from the dead. Oh, Rabbani, I mean, that's a no-brainer. But Bartimaeus speaks this to Jesus in his blindness. Capture that. In his blindness before the miracle... That's faith. And he says, I want to see. 52, Jesus said to him, Go, for your faith has healed you. And instantly, the man could see. And he followed Jesus down the road. Jesus says, This is the faith that stops me in my tracks. That compels my compassion 
Jesus had passed, I don't know how many other blind people. He healed some, but not all of them. What was it about Bartimaeus? It was his faith that drew the compassion of Jesus towards him, right? Uh, Hebrews 11.6, it says, It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And here Bartimaeus had two needs. He had a spiritual need, he needed mercy on his soul, and he had a physical need. He needed his sight. And he asked Jesus for both, and Jesus gives him both. But then look at the choice Bartimaeus makes. He could have got his healing, he could have got his mercy, and he could have went on his merry way. And how many do we know like that? Where Jesus moves in their situation, and what do they do? They go along their merry way, only to return again when blindness comes in. Bartimaeus makes a choice. And after receiving good from Jesus, continues to follow Him. We always have that choice to make. Will you choose to follow Jesus? Or just get what you need from Him and go your own merry way? So what are the implications here? There's three things that I I think we need to know from this story. The first one is that it shows us that Jesus is Lord over all things. He's Lord over death. He's Lord over disease. And yes, He's Lord over the devil. He's Lord over all things. Jesus, in His compassion, when He saw these sisters crying because their brother Lazarus had died, what did He do? He raised Lazarus from the dead because He's Lord over death. This man here, he was, he was blind. We don't know if it's from disease or something else. Jesus healed him. There was lepers that Jesus healed. Why? Because he's Lord over disease. And he's Lord over the devil. One day when the kingdom comes and we're living and ruling in eternity with him, the devil will be no more. He'll be locked up forever in eternity. Why? Because Jesus is Lord of all. That's what the story teaches us. Praise God for that. The second thing that it teaches us is that there's no person, hear me well, there's no person or situation that is beyond the reach of Jesus. He's not afraid and he's not put off by your deformities, by your inadequacies, by your sin, by your past. It doesn't recoil him. There's no person and there's no situation at all that is beyond the reach of of Jesus. Why? Because he's compassionate. Because he has a different compassion. A different compassion. A kindness for his people. Those are the two implications. Now here's the one application. If we're called to be like him, if we're called to become like Jesus, And if we're going to be people of different compassion, then we must recognize the suffering of others and take action to help. How do you have compassion like Jesus? You recognize the suffering of other people and then you take action to help. It's not enough to just just recognize other people's suffering. Their suffering, remember, now becomes your suffering 
their heartbreak now becomes your heartbreak. And if there's no peace, and if there's no joy, and there's no flourishing for them, then there should be no joy and no peace and no flourishing for you. If Jesus' life was marked by compassion, then his disciples should be marked by compassion as well. Jesus did three things here in this text. He recognized Bartimaeus' suffering. He listened to Bartimaeus. He heard his cries. And then he responded by taking action. Three simple steps you could be a person of compassion like Jesus. Recognize other people's suffering. Listen to them. Listen. Slow to speak. Quick to listen. And then respond You see, it's not enough to say, but I'm very empathetic. I'm a very sympathetic person. My heart breaks for those who are broken. There's a difference between uh, empathy and compassion. Uh, Empathy and sympathy are rooted in emotions, but compassion is rooted in action. I'm overjoyed that you're sympathetic, that you're empathetic. Jesus was too, but Jesus had compassion. He stopped and he responded and he took action. The component that separates Sympathy and empathy from compassion is involvement. It's moving to help. So how do we become like Jesus? How are we to to emulate this different Jesus who had a different compassion? You recognize suffering. You listen to those who are suffering. Then you take action to help their suffering. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is loving. Jesus is different. When you cry out to Him, He knows your voice. He listens to you. And He will respond to you as well. Can we stand together?